0: Welcome back to Camp Half Pod, the only podcast.
1: That is not true.
0: Reviewing the new Percy Jackson television show produced by Disney Plus. We are here to talk about the last episode of the first season, The Prophecy Comes True. My name is Tyler.
1: I'm Condra. I think the only qualifier that you could make that statement true is that produced by the amateur nerds.
0: The only only podcast podcast about about Percy Percy Jackson Jackson produced produced by Disney
1: Plus, produced by the Amateur Nerds.
0: Produced by Amateur Nerds, yes. and it's true. Relative statements, antecedents, all therein working tightly together. We are not produced by Disney Plus, (laughs) sadly. We wouldn't be amateur if that was the case.
1: Tyler, it's all over.
0: It's all over, yet I feel like it's just begun. Wow! Like there are more adventures to come
1: <laughs> that we'll meet back here next summer if we Promise. make it.
0: Promise, we'll still be friends in a year. <laughs> we need to save that.
1: Yeah, let's let's start at the beginning. So,
0: a very we, good place to start.
1: We have the fight with Ares.
0: Yeah, and I, I think there's bigger stuff later in the episode, so I don't want to linger on the small stuff.
1: But if this I mean, is Ares- actually a big part in the book that feels like a small part here. Yes. Well, it's big and small, because he draws blood. He draws Icor.
0: Yes, Ares is a gold-blooded killer, but Percy takes him on anyway. I think it it works for the show to like, hey, let's get this like scene- Done, let's make it feel important, but let's get the scene done and moving on to bigger things. and that's a that's that's a good way to treat stakes, too. Like it's cool to go from something that has high stakes, life and death, to something that has even higher stakes. If a fight with the God of war isn't the biggest thing in your episode, then even bigger than that is very important.
1: Yeah, but I think it's handled well. I think it's not too cheesy. Nor is it, it's quick, but it's still exciting.
0: Well, the cheesy stuff is the sort of flashback to Percy training with Luke, which is like- Oh, absolutely. Ah, uh, Yes, let's plant this um, relationship development in this episode where it actually needs to come to fruition and we didn't really get as much as we needed in the previous seven episodes. So let's make sure that betrayal that comes later actually feels like it matters.
1: Yeah, let's make this hit. <laughs> And if that wasn't a dead enough giveaway to the folks at home who hadn't seen or hadn't read Percy Jackson before, it was like, oh boy, now it's obvious.
0: <laughs> um, so in the flashback, Luke's giving Percy sword fighting training and also sort of peppering him with rules about like what's fair and what's right in the world of the gods. And Percy sort of gets this idea, oh, you have to know the rules to know how to break the rules yeah. And this is kind of what he's doing in his fight with Ares.
1: Yeah, he calls a one-on-one challenge to draw the first blood. So stakes are lower and also Ares is controlled a little more.
0: Well, it's... It's very
1: it's Greek. It's playing on
0: Ares' confidence. Like, yeah. It's deceitful in that way that is helpful.
1: It's also very Greek in the... Let's have a representation of our best by having two individuals fight each other, where Romans were going to fight in an army style. That's something that, like, Rick brings up in the second series a lot is like the difference between Greek and Roman heroes as like teamwork versus individuality. And Percy gets it right away.
0: I mean, there are lots of stories in Roman culture and mythology that like in early Rome in the monarchy where you had like an individual Roman hero who like does something cool to save Rome. But the the idea of like our best guy versus your best guy does feel a little bit more Greek. I mean, the Iliad, you have the fight between Paris and Menelaus, but that's more like because it's a fight between those two individuals. Yeah. Anyway, he fights, well, okay. Right before he fights... Ares, he kind of taunts him a little bit slash investigates a little bit of this Kronos deal. And he says, oh, you it wasn't your plan. It was Kronos's plan. And Annabeth goes, what? <laughs> Which is great.
1: Yeah. We How love- does
0: seaweed brain know something I don't?
1: <laughs> Which, honestly, those are some of the best moments. Like when Percy surprises Annabeth by knowing something. Those are those are great. We love we love when Percy is smart, boy.
0: And I think I think they're trying to cover up something here that doesn't make a lot of sense because Ares is like, gods don't dream. Because Percy's trying to ask if Kronos got to him through his dreams. And I I am confused about like, is Ares isn't on Kronos' side. He was tricked by Kronos. Yeah. So he thought he was getting Zeus and Poseidon to fight because he wanted a war. He didn't realize that Kronos had tricked him into doing this as sort of a, a way to seed, um weakness among the gods and descent among the gods so that his rise would come faster.
1: See, that's where it's a little wonky.
0: But Luke knows it's Kronos. Yeah. And he's working with Ares, but Ares doesn't.
1: See, that's where I think it gets muddied and I- I'm desperately trying to remember the book, which is also fun right now. So, Ares does know that he's working for Kronos, but he really wants a war in his family because he says, like, that the best kind of war is, like, the one in your family. Like, he's incredibly spiteful against his family. And he knows Kronos is involved, and it's actually like Kronos stops him from hurting Percy more because Kronos needs Percy for a future prophecy. So it's this weird, like Ares is very much playing into this Kronos plan in the hopes that he could rise up and be more powerful than Zeus in like the future world where Kronos is ruling, which doesn't make like a ton of sense, but Ares. It was is... the first book. Yeah. Like, Rick definitely had a some inklings of a plan, but it wasn't like totally fleshed out yet. So So Ares does know that it's Kronos and but he's he hides the fact from the, the kids that it that he does he knows Kronos is behind things and he does like he renegs it a little bit. He's not punished very severely at the end of the five books kind of thing.
0: It seems like in the book they fight Ares before they realize it's Kronos.
1: No. I think they figured out it I, I I'm I they do know it's Kronos, but Ares doesn't outright say like it was Kronos. He like slips it and they're like, oh, like all like kind of not all the pieces click together right away, but it's they're they're aware of Kronos I think the shoe, like, the difference in the shoes bit, because, like, they're like, oh, that was dragging me down to Tartarus kind of thing. Like, that was a much bigger deal.
0: Okay. Well, I don't think we need to spend that much more time on it.
1: I will say the one thing, so if people think this was real short of a fight, there was, like, this whole boar situation going on in the book that, like, Percy not destroys a boar, but, like, he like cuts off its tusk or something so like there is a little more action in the book like we've seen in some of the other fights like they kind of stripped the fight down to its barest bone but the the concept of like percy drawing blood from achilles's heel or leg is is very yes sorry (laughs) uh is very to the, bo- like, that was the goal in the book and what was accomplished in the book. But the water stuff is real.
0: Whoa, they really made a giant wave?
1: Well, not
0: Tyler. <laughs> real as in authentic to the book? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so Percy kind of gets his butt kicked a little bit and it seems like Ares is toying with him, but he gets kicked into some water and- <gasps> Ares falls for one of the classic blunders. Never go Never in against a,
1: against a a
0: son. Never go in against the son of Poseidon next to the ocean.
1: Yeah, and he flattens him. He decks him. With a giant wave.
0: With the big wave, and then we get this moment where Ares is reaching for his sword, and just when he turns around, Percy's running at him, and he barely has time to hold up his sword to. to to Nick Perry a slash. And then Percy sort of ducks behind him and slashes at his leg and gets, draws the gold blood. I felt like the moment where Percy was running at him, like took a second too long. I was like, no, like have him look up. And then already like Percy's there swiping at him. Like the wave was the thing.
1: Yeah. I see what you're saying. I don't think it was the worst for how quick this fight was.
0: Actually, on my second watch, it seemed fine. But my first time, I was like, "I don't know." It seems like the God of War should not be defeated that easily in one-on-one combat.
1: See, that's the thing. Ares is not a st- like strate- strategist, strategist, and Percy takes advantage of that.
0: But it seems like even the brute force thing would be enough.
1: This is something that I've, like, always had struggled with with the Percy Jackson is, like, Percy is supposed to be one of the greatest sword fighters ever in modern, like, demigod warfare. And we see him train so little. Like, how much of it is Riptide?
0: Hard we to know say. Riptide I, is magic. I don't, I don't know if we... Riptide is magic, but I don't think it's fair to attribute someone's fighting skill to the nature of their sword.
1: Magnus chases that way though, cause his sword is sentient.
0: Well, that's different then. We've got another sword name <laughs> to talk about later in this episode.
1: Yeah.
0: But um Percy stabs, slashes Ares, and then Annabeth and Grover run up and they go, You did it and Ares goes, You'll pay, you've made an enemy for life. It's very
1: he- um Harry Potter in the chess match when they're like, Don't move Okay, we can move now. And honestly, it was smart of Percy to just be like, "Draw first blood," because like if he's in water or close enough to water, he's probably not going to bleed very much, if at all. So like the better odds are him getting a little pokey on Ares.
0: I mean, the odds were for Ares to just completely murk him within the first three seconds. Yeah, the fact that that didn't happen. Is the impressive thing? <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, Ares bamps out of there, meaning he shows his true form in a in a flash of gold light, and everybody I, has to look away,
1: including the audience. I loved that that we were also looking away from his fo- like the second he starts to turn, the camera's quick turns to the the trio and. Like the trio, we don't look at Ares' true form. I liked that.
0: Yeah, I guess that's a a sort of no-brainer camera idea. So Ares leaves the helm, which was the sort of the deal of the fight, and Percy, Annabeth, and Grover take the helm into this beach house. Is it supposed to be the the same same, beach house from the beginning?
1: Yeah, they got transported back.
0: I feel like when we saw it at the beginning, we were on like...
1: We were at night. Like we were
0: coming in from the mainland Mm -hmm. and we were coming in from the left side of the screen and the house was on the right. And then now we're on the beach (laughs) and we're looking at the house on the left while like we're coming in from the right side of the screen. So like the filmmaking technique doesn't necessarily communicate. Oh, this is the same house.
1: Except Sally is calling to Percy and this is their spot. And it would make sense if Sally met Poseidon here on the beach it makes sense that Poseidon would send Percy back to this safe spot.
0: Ultimately, I like the writing decision that, like, yeah, the Pearls brought them back to the East Coast, to Long Island, because the ocean can take you there. Whereas in the book, they end up back in the beach of in Los Santa Angeles, Monica, and that's where yeah. they fight Ares. And yeah. then they have to fly back. It's like, well, that's stupid. Like, And Percy's, like, back.
1: shaking because he's so panicked about getting shot out of the sky but he knows that it's going to be okay because he's got the master bolt.
0: But in the book they finish the quest on time, right? They
1: do. Yeah. Yeah, so this delay thing is like a little wonky, but it's not the end of the world.
0: Well, it could Almost. be the end of the it world. It could,
1: I guess. Yeah, that is
0: true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess we could talk about the the effect of the like deciding that the writing should say that oh no, the deadline passed. So um, they give the helm to Electo and they're like, this was your quest all along. And then she walks away and then Annabeth and Grover realize that Percy's going to Mount Olympus. So he walks into the Empire State Building.
1: Right up to the desk and is like, I don't have an appointment.
0: I'm here to see Zeus. I feel like we really missed an opportunity for for the guy at the desk to be like, what are you talking about? Huh?
1: Honestly, that's what. Yeah, no, that's like the the desk attendant in the books is hilarious because he's like, shut up, kid. You don't know what you're talking about. Like, he's so like blase with him. It's really funny. So, well, what, just for the like, reference of the Master Bolds, it was a little sad.
0: What I'm saying is, we spend this whole movie going oh, there's like all these people embedded who are like actually working for the Greek gods or or who are actually secret monsters. And I want this one guy not to be involved. I want him to be like, I don't know, 12 year old kid, what you're trying to talk about. Get this thing off. I'm just here to make sure that everyone stands in line and no one has a bomb. Like, I want this one guy to be just a normal mortal man who's confused about why this kid is here to see Zeus. That, to me, is a good punchline to this whole show.
1: Nah. He's got to know. He's not Argos, though, in the books. Argos is at Camp Half-Blood, so...
0: Oh, is that supposed to be Argos here in the show?
1: No, I don't think so. But they just cut Argos altogether.
0: I think that's fair, because it's hard to make a guy who's all eyes. Yeah, yeah. You can make a guy who's all ears, but not all eyes.
1: Lend me your ears. That's Wait,
0: did they do that in in that movie? What? Never mind. (laughs) So, Percy takes the elevator up to Mount Olympus. All the numbers on the elevator are Greek letters, I guess. I didn't really know what that meant.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was a little confused by that too, TBH.
0: He gets there and he's like on the outskirts of town. I was like, what is Mount Olympus? It's not like a whole city.
1: It, yeah, it is.
0: Cuz it well, I mean it's giving um where does Thor live?
1: Asgard. Asgard.
0: It's giving Asgard where it's like this is where Odin lives but also there's a bunch of other like citizens who live here.
1: No, that is the thing though. This Mount Olympus is like cuz when they describe <sighs> So at the end of the series when Mount Olympus is in danger it's Part of it is there's a lot of other nymphs, triads, the muses, these random minor gods, like they're all there.
0: Minor gods. What do they mine?
1: (sighs) I'm just not going to respond to that one, I think.
0: (laughs) But yeah. Okay. I guess that makes sense of like, of all the myriad, like minor gods, someone like inhabits the town, but they don't all live on like the the peak of Mount Olympus.
1: No. I think in general, what like the Rickverse does with.
0: The Rickverse.
1: I don't know what to call it. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I keep every time I mention it, I'm like, I'm, here's another name for it, I guess. It's a more v- like the world is vast, which I appreciate. Although. Yes. It. And, like, some stuff doesn't make sense, but, like, Greek mythology at its core doesn't make sense. Like, that's kind of part of it. (laughs) So I, I, like, appreciate that. Like, yeah, I'll fill in some gaps, but, like, also some of it just doesn't make sense because, like, that's the Greeks for you.
0: Well, I think part, the thing that doesn't make sense here, but but, like, I can actually wrap my head around is, like, wow, it seems like a long walk up to Mount Olympus, but I can imagine it being, like, a like an actually short walk where it's like, it's all sort of a perspective thing. Like he just walks up some steps and there he is because Mount Olympus is magic. You just end up where you need to be right away. Yeah. Yeah. Percy arrives at the Jedi council. He goes, no. a ship, a cup, a speeder and Yaddle's there. And Yarl Poof is there. And Kiadi Mundi and Mace Windu.
1: No, Tyler, I'm sorry. Where and is Zeus. The- and Zeus, the throne room. And Zeus
0: says, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a different council room. And, and Zeus does later say room. he's gonna get, he Zeus does later say he's gonna get the council together though. So I.
1: Yeah, but it is considered the throne room.
0: Yes, totally.
1: And I love, so I always envision the throne room similar to the way I envisioned the cabins and the dining area of Camp Half Blood, I imagined them more in a not like a horseshoe, I guess, with the fire in the middle, not at the end.
0: Yeah, I guess that like, makes sense. We don't I saw really the
1: fire in a in the in place of another throne. Like instead of having a thirteenth throne, there was a fire there, and I was like, I thought Hestia was in the middle.
0: Yeah, I didn't really clock where Hestia's fire was, and I know that comes big into play in the fifth book, but I don't really remember much of the significance of the orientation of the throne room.
1: Well, like, Hestia gave up her throne to Dionysus because she's the best. She's humble. And she's family-oriented.
0: So true. Percy, you know, comes in in face-to-face with Zeus, but before we Before we get the bulk of that, we get this little conversation again with Luke, where Luke's pointing out, like, oh, the gods have to play by the rules, but the demigods can get around those rules. That actually makes the demigods just as dangerous to the gods. But if you're small and scary, you're more likely to get squished, meaning you can get around the rules, but you don't want to rub that in their faces.
1: Which is a Good way to think about it. Like using Annabeth and spiders as like kind of a It's like, yeah, that's kind of what the demigods are to the gods. Like they're bugs.
0: I think the overall message of like demigods are able to represent something to the gods. They are sort of their their tools of creating change in the world and getting at other gods. And the idea that the gods have to play by the rules, I think is a little bit iffy. I mean, no. Zeus obviously doesn't super have to play by the rules, um, but the idea that there's sort of a pomp and circumstance to gods that um, the demigods are a path around does make sense.
1: Yeah. Like they can't interfere in mortal affairs. So that's why there are our, go- our heroes present. We've, we've seen that like in the, Although the Trojan War is a bad example, but like that, that's the reasoning is like, oh, gods can't get involved in mortal affairs because they make it too messy, that they don't want another repeat of the Trojan War. Or in the II Percy
0: that lore, way. that is definitely true, where it's like the Trojan War was a time where all the gods got involved with mortal stuff and that went bad. And. But the thing is, there like there are many other stories of gods getting involved with mortals, whether they're getting involved, wink, or just turning them into gorgons or spiders, or Dolphins.
1: sending them on
0: Dionysian um, raves. Like all of the Greek stories are about the gods getting involved with men, whether there's demigods involved or not. So
1: I see. What I think you're it makes sense.
0: It makes sense in the world building we have here. Mm-hmm. It all gets a little clunky in like the Heroes of Olympus where it's like the Titans can only be defeated if there's like a god and a demigod working together. Yeah. Like when you start making rules, like that's fine, but it's fantasy. But it's, is, it is what it is. Yeah.
1: Also, that is kind of the OG rules, too of the original Titan War, but like we're not even close to being there yet. We don't even have a known renewal for season two yet. Like,
0: <laughs> Oh, I'm not saying we're going to get it in the show, but <laughs> it would yeah. be interesting if they, uh, they like recast the show, like the, uh, wimpy kid movies.
1: See, I'm so nervous because that's a thing. Streaming, like streaming services get around paying people adequately. By canceling after the third season.
0: This is also like, true.
1: And I'm like so nervous that we're not going to get all five of this.
0: Well, for one thing, I think it might be very reasonable for them to combine the books into seasons just because.
1: I feel like the, 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 the age
0: th- of the kids <laughs> is the only thing.
1: Age of the Kids, but Sea of Monsters is such a big story. And the Labyrinth is such a big story. that, And then, like, yeah, Titan's Curse is kind of a whatever. But it also is very important to the universe because you get Nico.
0: The other thing you can do is you can make seasons more than eight episodes.
1: Well, yeah. That would Back be nice in the day,
0: too. seasons used to have, like, like
1: 20. 26
0: episodes.
1: Yeah, I know. They just
0: kept making Star Treks.
1: <laughs> I know. I miss it. I'm so Avatar comes out in just a couple of weeks, and I'm like a wreck because.
0: How are you gonna fit it all? Yeah.
1: How are you gonna fit it all?
0: Well, and that's the thing with a lot of these shows that people love so much, like Star Trek and Doctor Who, and Friends, Avatar. and like, and Avatar. It's like these were these were people meeting a quota. Like you were told to make. 26 episodes in your season and you found a way to fill all 26.
1: Yeah, even like Phineas and Ferb and stuff like
0: the filler is the fun. Like you make the good stuff feel even better by having some stuff that you don't really care for.
1: Although my favorite episode ever of Avatar is is one of the greatest filler episodes of all time.
0: Even like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and like the this the period where like shows actually started to have like overarching narratives like, yeah, but you find a way to you find a way to stretch that and like make it last.
1: Yeah. All right. We're we're all over the place right now. Let's get back to the throne room.
0: Um, I wrote down Zeus suit riot. Correct. I I, I like Zeus in the suit. Um, Lance Reddick plays Zeus in this show rest in peace because his
1: last performance Um, and
0: he looks great and he's acting great from for my money when I see Zeus I want to like I want to see cliche Zeus just a little bit like
1: I love like the suave like businessman Zeus I think in juxtaposition to Hades and Poseidon like him being the CEO kind of thing. I I dig that.
0: Is Hades not wearing like a pinstripe suit?
1: He's not. <laughs> I I mean, yeah, he is, but he's just so casual in his talk and his demeanor. I
0: that, mean like, maybe maybe Zeus is like supposed to be eternally buttoned up, but like also there's this idea of like, what if it like what if the facade faded a little bit and like he started off in the suit and then he like reverted back to like primal Zeus a little bit.
1: You're, you're tempting the, the early, the later books too much with that talk.
0: Oh, I, I guess. um, Yeah. There's, there's this idea of primal gods in the second series. I forgot about that, (laughs) but you know, like I want, I want Toga and like,
1: you want Hercules, Zeus,
0: Yeah. And well, you you know, but you know what I mean? It's also the design in the Hades video game and stuff like that. Like,
1: well, yeah, I mean, it's the the Zeus that you see on the side of pots, like (laughs) ancient pots, like it's that
0: I think also like if I like if I can be honest here, like the representation of like a guy in a suit being like the highest form of of class and like the aspirational goal of what everyone could be, or like the idea of like a businessman being like the ultimate representation of power and supreme um, control. Like I could do without that stereotype. Like,
1: well, yeah, but it's that kind of created the stereotype.
0: Well, that's what I think that's what I'm saying is like, It's not an original idea of like, what if instead of our Macbeth taking place in ancient Scotland, it actually took place in like the modern business world and they were all in suits. It's like, yeah, everybody's done that forever. Like
1: sometimes you can break the mold. Sometimes you got to go with it. Ty, I don't know what to tell you.
0: Yeah. Break the mold by making Gabe the voice of the Oracle and you get and you get people complaining. So I get it. You got to play it safe sometimes. Percy basically breaks the news to Zeus that like he didn't steal the bolt, but he brought it back. And um, he knows that this war is happening, but you know, this is all Cronus's thing. So maybe he should ease it back. And Zeus is like, well, I'm going to keep prosecuting this war, but I'm going to let you live. Thanks for telling me. So, so long. Bye. But Percy doesn't leave.
1: No. Percy's like, no, you're not listening to me. (laughs)
0: it's like you're not listening Zeus I don't know
1: that reference
0: it's not a reference that that one would know because it was a Harry and the Potters song so oh (laughs) I don't know why that one came to me cool we really get evidence here that Percy knows how to grind gears
1: oh absolutely Percy's a little a little nuisance
0: yeah don't don't let him Get near Hephaestus's machinery, because he'll he'll grind those gears till there's nothing left. Keep Percy away from a steampunk convention is all I'm saying. Because <laughs> they have gears there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I got it, Ty. <laughs> Percy's like goading. I th- honestly, this scene feels. Yeah, we had some great Percy at the very beginning, like, with him flossing while waiting for, for capture the flag. And, like, we see him be smart in unexpected ways, and he gets weird ideas, and he's fiercely loyal. But I think this scene truly, like, encapsulates why Percy is such a great character. That he's loyal, he's stubborn, but it's for all the right reasons, he he knows what's right, and he's not willing to back down. He is willing to speak up, even when the odds are totally against him. He does not care about putting his life on the line, if it means the potential for someone else to be safe. I really, like, Walker is doing such an amazing job. I really, like, this scene feels like a great great representation of this scene in the book
0: yeah you want the guy in who's going to get to the room the room where it happens as it were and who's not going to be intimidated by the grandeur not going to you know fall into the role that is expected not going to toe the line but going to step into that room and make his voice heard because and this is what the whole season's been building to. It's like he, the the rules that have been laid out for him, he does not find acceptable. He does not live in this world with and abide by your by your fake rules. The man, you, you can't pass laws that I didn't get to have my say in, dude. But all of this is to say, Percy knows how to take a stand. And is willing to put his life on the line as well. I think the ability to not fall for sort of the reverence mm-hmm. of someone in charge, I think is admirable. I, I think of the guy who threw a shoe at George Bush.
1: Yeah. For a <laughs> That's very <Percy>. old reference. <laughs> who's going to get that one?
0: Like sometimes you just need the person like you who's willing to make every single news anchor and um, uptight person clutch their pearls. But at the end of the day, he's right. Like yeah, and the fact that we have a system both in our American government and in this allegorical Greek Greek god world where like you can't speak truth to those in charge. Is the is the shame and Percy is calling attention to that.
1: Yeah, I, I I just the scene is really good. And then for Poseidon just to appear and stop Zeus from smiting him, this Poseidon feels more right to me. Like, I like more he's right than the last we- episode. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was like, really I happy with he's the Poseidon not stuff.
1: Wearing here. a Hawaiian shirt still, which is a bummer.
0: But this outfit's way better than the outfit he was in in the last episode, too.
1: And he's like all craggly beard and he looks exhausted and like, I'm like, yes, this is Poseidon. Thank you.
0: He just says, I surrender. And it's like, well, what were you fighting over then? Like.
1: He was fighting for his son. For his honor.
0: Yeah, maybe I don't understand why people get into big fights because I was like, if you're just going to like. If you're just going to end it here.
1: I always... So Poseidon doesn't go to war unless he... Like, even in the later books and stuff, he holds off having to fight because he does not want to risk his people. Like, he is a very benevolent or a very thoughtful ruler. Like, he doesn't want his subjects to be put at risk. So, like... He's being put up to it. So if he can get out of it in an honorable way, like this, like he's gonna take that out. And I, I, I guess I he just, doesn't
0: care about having the L in the record book.
1: No, because he's still Poseidon.
0: Because he's still, and he still achieved the goal that he wanted to achieve, being like my son's alive and the status quo, which I find acceptable. Has not changed. Yeah. So S- Zeus getting to say, ha ha, I'm better than you. Doesn't really matter. I, I just, know. I guess my original complaint was like the, I surrender is like, well, I never really cared about what this war was. And, and going back to what we were saying earlier, like, oh no, Percy's late. So the war has already started. What is, what is that? What does that mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, for him just to duck out, makes sense. And yeah.
0: Cause I guess he's not trying to, Like, he, the battle ends on his terms because, like, he just wanted to save his son. And so, like...
1: And him getting the little dig at Zeus about Thalia being, like, someone so brave that every hero looks up to her. Like, that's a, hey, yeah, you're not happy about my forbidden child, but your forbidden child came first. You broke the promise first.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like, you won this time, but, you know, like, you've had your losses, too let like I'll you've, take this one and m- my son can matter too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I wonder if it too is like, Oh, you know what it feels like to lose your child recently. Like you've recently <laughs> lost a child. Do you want to put me through that too? Yeah. I, I, I mean, how-
0: Zeus basically says, Hey, like I, Hey, I don't want to see this kid again. And then he walks away. And then we get this meeting scene between Percy and his father. And I, I remember the first time watching him being like, oh, this is Percy's first time meeting his dad. I don't know if the conversation really lives up to the hype. What do you think?
1: I think it's fine. I think it is very reflective of both Percy and Poseidon and how they're not really good together. Like they don't, they get each other at like a fundamental level, but the complexity of Percy and all of his beliefs and Poseidon's position in the godly world is all, like, they can never meet eye to eye. They, they can work together well on certain things, but they, they'll they never truly understand each other. Poseidon will support Percy, but it's not, it's not the same as his relationship with some of his other more godly beings.
0: Percy asks him this whole deal, do gods dream? And Poseidon responds in like, yeah, of course. Um, and that's a little reference back to the Hades. Uh, sorry, not the Hades thing, the Ares thing. But Percy follows it up with, do you ever dream about mom? And that's, I think, where Percy's perspective of the conversation goes. is like, I don't care about my relationship between you and me. I care about the, you, the relationship between you and my mom and how you kind of left her in the lurch, which is a noble perspective for him to take.
1: Absolutely. And I like how Poseidon originally is like, because Percy's like, can I ask you a question? He's like, I don't know how long Hades will decide to give your mom back to you. I, I have no control over him. And he's like, no, that's not what I care about. Like, you like, there's this disconnect between them that it's like, obviously that's not what I'm going to ask.
0: Well, and the fact that he asks something so like introspective and Poseidon gives a little bit of a, a Dumbledore response, but
1: yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a very wise being. It makes sense.
0: Well, in the sense that like he just talks around the question and doesn't answer it in the in the guise of being wise. Yeah.
1: <laughs> He's too um, important to answer such belittling questions.
0: Condra, you touched upon the the main thing that I, I guess I wanted to talk about in this episode, and this is sort of what we've been talking about is like what is the relationship between the mortals and the gods? And what does it mean in the Percy Jackson show? And I was talking with a friend about it, friend of the show. And it really became clear that the gods are just parents. Mm -hmm. The gods are just parents.
1: Messing stuff up, trying to clean up their messes, and and just trying to do better one day at a time. Or one millennium at a time.
0: The kids will never understand the parents' world. No. And the parents also have to let the kids' world be their, like, be their world too. Now, I guess it's complicated because it never stops being the God's world. No. And to Percy and all the other Half-Blood's perspective, it's like, you need to let us live our lives because one day you'll be old and gone. And my kids will, you know, be, eventually become the ones who become front and center But I guess that's not how it works for the demigods. But still, the allegory of the show is I will never get you, parents, but you need to understand that you will never get me. And we need to make room in both of our mental spaces for that gap.
1: Yeah, I think part of it, too, is like Greek demigods have such a limited life, like their world is so insular and and so short that there's some tragedy. Like Greek demigods don't live long. Thalia is an example. She's didn't even make it to sixteen. The the world is just so dangerous for them that to some extent the gods have to distance themselves as much as their parents they also have to emotionally distance themselves because they're if not they would be constantly consumed by grief like also it's kind of weird because the gods have these relationships with mortals who they are so fascinated by who they respect who they admire depending on the god And still there's this weird disconnect because they can acknowledge their kid, but they can't really have a presence in their kid's life. So their avoidance of the world, is it like a weird one night stand kind of thing? Is it like this? Like there's a lot of.
0: The idea idea of the gods is like deadbeat parents. Yeah. I think to Rick Riordan who probably grew up in sort of like the 80s and the divorce generation, like there probably is an overarching idea of like questioning the role of parenting in our society because there is this sort of fundamental idea. When you're a kid, you worship your parents,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? For better or worse, the, the parents are the main thing in your life. And for the Greeks, right, their culture revolved around worshiping the gods. And at some point in your life, I guess you go from worshiping your parents to worshiping the gods. But even then in Greek and Roman culture, it's like, okay, but the household gods that you worship are your ancestors. So like there's still something there. Mm -hmm. And I I see this sort of playing out in this Percy Jackson show, right? Percy worships his mom, Mm -hmm. right? his life revolves around his mother. His life doesn't revolve around his father. And then one day he's told, hey, your father's a god and your life should revolve around him. And then he realizes, wait a second, my life doesn't revolve around you just because you're my parent. And and that way Sally earns her role. You deserve my undying love because you were the right kind of parent. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I suppose the show is and the books are honoring the type of relationship between parent and child that is respectful and um, empowering for both parties.
1: I think not just a parent relationship, but I think the concept of found family or chosen family because they're somehow all related and they support each other sometimes, but also they can have conflicts. And yeah, I'm technically like Clarice and I, we just will never get along because of these certain values and such. But I think that concept of like respect and honoring is not just on a parental level. I think it's like a familial broadly.
0: It, quest- it questions the cultural value of like honor to your family and, Automatic love for family on -hmm. the basis of familial connection or blood as it were. And in the same way that, you know, you as a a Greek person have to worship Dionysus, otherwise your crops won't come in. You as um, an American are supposed to, be good to all of your family members forever, whether they have earned that respect or not. And there's something interesting there. O- obviously um, American culture has less of a reverence for parents and elders than say Chinese culture, mm-hmm. but it's still there. This idea that, like you owe someone a second chance because
1: you have to progress to the ne- like the next generation is going to take a step above you constant climbing no
0: I I get what you're saying I I that that wasn't the the literal point I was making but hold on so yeah like you need to
1: like the next generation will always do better than the previous generation all that generation's hard work will be fulfilled and increased like honestly you like see it a lot in I feel like I see like my understanding of this is more in like first generation or second generation families where they're like, "Oh, we did all these things and now you have to do this because we worked hard for you and to see you advance and go beyond what we did."
0: Yeah, I guess um we get a lot of stories about this from yeah, from the perspective of like immigrant families. A movie like Turning Red, yeah, is very similarly about this idea of like, where does the culture of my parents fit into um, the culture that I find myself embedded in? And if the justice that I feel in my life doesn't match with the cultural values that I'm being given, how do I reconcile that within myself? I think there's also something interesting about this sort of generational idea because it's not just the generation between Percy and his father, that is at stake here. It's also um, Percy and his grandfather, as he sort of humorously puts it to Sally later in the show. Grandpa, like, and this is something that's very important in Greek mythology as well. The cycles of, you know, overthrowing one's father, right? Because Uranos mm-hmm. is overthrown by Kronos mm-hmm. and Kronos is overthrown by Zeus. And there's this sort of idea of a fundamental paradigm shift where the son overthrows the father as if there's some sort of like destiny at play here.
1: Apollo attempts to overthrow Zeus and fails catastrophically.
0: <laughs> um, but the idea that, like, okay, Kronos gets overthrown and he's like, he's like the the original. Well, I guess but he but he overthrew his father. And yeah. I guess there's this idea of um the um generational trauma and like mm-hmm. inherited. Um, family trauma and problems where it's like, okay, this is how our family is. We're messy. And it's like.
1: But do we have to be?
0: Do we have to be? Now, in a normal family, it's like, okay, well, we can solve this theoretically with the passing of time because one generation will eventually fade and we can make each generation better and better. But with the gods, they don't fade. They -hmm. stay there forever. They stay messy forever. Yeah. And so that becomes complicated in the metaphor. But the idea of like the grandfather being like, you know, I was the originator of all this. Maybe I know how to run things best Um, because you guys took over and you didn't do anything. You didn't do much better. But from the gods' perspective, it was like, yeah, but you made us this way. Um, (laughs) It reminds me of the plot of the first season of Dungeons and Daddies a little bit, but (laughs) that's not a universal text, I suppose. No. (laughs) But uh, yeah, parents reconciling with their children involves that, and it it requires you to reconcile the relationship with your parent too. And I, if if anything, I hope that's where the show goes, because, you know, Kronos is mostly just played as a big bad. Mm-hmm. And we don't get a lot of the like, oh, Zeus and Poseidon are messy because they all had to kill their dad when they were kids, and this is... Um, a, a trauma that they've been working through their entire lives. It's more like no, they're all powerful, so they are very petty and don't have anything to live for.
1: Yeah, and seeing those different versions of like how the gods deal with that trauma honestly makes all the many versions of Greek mythology so compelling. Is like okay, how are you interpreting trauma build? And like Lore Olympus has been doing a brilliant job with that. Over the, the many episodes they've got. And trauma is at the core of the story. And like how they're all working through it. And I just... So like for this one to to be a little more blasé. Is interesting. Because it's like okay that's why they're a hot mess. For a different reason than this version's a hot mess. Than, than the Hercules version which... Is like rose-colored glasses. Let's just ignore anything that happened before, except for Hades, know. who's petty.
0: I don't know if in my personal life, I I think that there's like an overarching like Greek mythology canon. Like there's like there's a no. whole story that fits together. No. Which I I don't think you're saying either, obviously, but like the idea that there's like one central thrust of what Greek mythology means is obviously not even something that you could argue. Um, It's sort of an amalgamation of all individual stories that we have sort of attributed meaning to. But even then what, what exists in the Iliad is so different than what exists in, you know, copied um, X number of times versions of Hercules or,
1: or even the um, metamorphosis like Ovid. Yeah. Or... yeah,
0: which is, you know, a Roman adaptation of many of these stories. Yeah. So I, I think we talked around this idea that, you know, we've been talking around for the entire run of this show. But I think, yeah, Rick found something here where it's like, the gods are just your parents, and you'll never... You'll never quite get them in the same way that the Greeks will never quite get the gods.
1: No, but there can still be supportive. Like, even if you don't get them, they can still. If you make the relationship healthy, it will be a healthy relationship.
0: Yeah. And I think, again, the relationship between Percy and Sally makes it all work, not because she's mortal, but because she did the right thing.
1: Mm-hmm. This, th- all right, let's get to the Sally stuff because it gets a little weird at the end here.
0: Well, before we get to Sally stuff, we have to do the Luke stuff, Condra. Oh, all right. <laughs> but we can kind of rush through the Luke stuff. One, because I don't feel like it totally delivers on much of the premise of the show. It's a little hazy and like, oh, season two building. So yeah. they get back to camp. There's a long hug between Percy and Annabeth,
1: yeah, like during which they long. they but whisper about
0: Clarice, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're they're scheming.
0: But honestly, I really liked all of the um, stuff out of Annabeth in the latter half of this episode. Yeah, thought the acting was really good, and she wasn't stuck with like a bunch of lore explaining and.
1: Mm-hmm. She got to exposition. have a lot of emotions in this last bit. Like confusion, yeah, I, anger, betrayal.
0: The dialogue came out a lot better, especially in the last scene by Thalia's tree.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: All right, so they, they meet up with Luke, who's like, well, we couldn't tell on Clarice because everybody was about to fight. I had a question about like, you know, if the wars between Zeus and Poseidon, like why are all, like none of the campers are Zeus or Poseidon's kid, but I guess all the other gods have their like mini allegiances and alliances. Yeah, yeah. But like, We don't really need to go into detail about that because the show doesn't either. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Basically, Luke takes Percy off on his own while Annabeth goes to do some other stuff. And this is where the conversation between Luke and Percy goes like, oh, you know, like there's more going on here and the prophecy and Percy realizes that the friend who betrayed him never happened yet. And then he realizes, oh, Luke was the one who set us all up when it was the shoes shoes. and the lightning bolts.
1: Yeah. The shoes being the linchpin to the whole like realization, it like needed to happen. It happened kind of abruptly.
0: Yeah, there's versions of this like, oh, I'm realizing that the person I'm talking to has been the bad guy all along. Obviously, uh, you know it's kind of a, the usual suspects. Although it happens after the conversation is over in that one. Uh, what's a better What's a better example of Agatha like all along? yeah i guess uh oh crap the person i'm currently talking to is the person that's actively trying to kill me and i didn't realize it until just now yeah because it happens in star wars when lando walks them into a room with darth vader yeah i'm
1: trying to think of um, harry potter but i don't have one
0: um that's mad i moody
1: uh right
0: and goblet of fire yep yeah luke's like you know, it's our parents. They've screwed up this world, and Kronos is going to make everything better. He's going to bring us back to the Golden Age. And I don't see Luke's side here, but I also don't see Percy's side. So
1: <laughs> so that is an issue in the book as well, that you learn Luke's side more as the books progress. Like, it does seem like a bit of a shock. Like, I remember the first time I read this book, and I was shook that it was Luke. Like, I was like, are you, what, what is happening? Like, it can't be Luke. Annabeth, it's Annabeth's oldest friend, and, like, he was so nice to Percy and stuff. But, like, as the books progress and you learn more about, like, Luke and his father and his misplaced anger, like, it's like, oh, yeah. Yep, this makes sense. This is I mean, more... I suppose there's
0: plenty of teenage boys out there who are angry at the system in place and who have found... Choose
1: violence.
0: Um, yeah, a violent or um, alternative lifestyle that while raging against the system in place does not actually lead to an end result of a better world, but only a world that is more convenient to their immediate interests... Yeah. I don't think Luke is necessarily supposed to be like a neo-Nazi or like no. a men's rights activist. No. Which is why it's which it's why it's harder to sort of understand like, well, what is what does Kronos get him?
1: Well, so Yeah. And it is something that's a slow it's like a slow burn, and a lot of it is just Kronos being incredible incredibly manipulative. manipulative like it is, yeah it, it's Kronos's power really it it seems unconvincing because it's just Kronos being incredibly powerful against a demigod of her like he's not even a big three demigod he's a demigod of Hermes like
0: yeah this idea I guess there are people who that like you know want to go back to to tradition in the way that things were the idea that, like, oh, you know who's stupid? The 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 gods. They, they overthrew their parents and are just as violent and um, petty as um, anyone could ever be. You know who would be better? Their dad, who overthrew his father and was just as violent and petty. Like, logically, it doesn't make sense. But also, yeah. from Percy's perspective, Percy's doing kind of the classic superhero thing of defending the status quo...
1: Even though it's problematic,
0: even though the status quo is also like not necessarily right for him, he's yeah. fighting for the world because he believes it could be a better place. But the way that you want to change it is wrong. The way I want to change it is right. I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is a super that is a superhero complex very much. So
0: it it can feel kind of specious, I guess. But I I guess that's how the world works. Is like. There are people who want to burn it all down and start again, but that's that they can never be the, the solution. Yeah, and they're like, like
1: well, I can work within the system and try at least to make it better. Even if I'm not successful, I know I'm going to put my whole self in to trying.
0: Yeah. Or a better life is not possible unless you believe it's possible and there's maybe even a radical positivity idea in there's like you are trying to tear things down, and I'm trying to build things up.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I believe in my community, and I think that we can eventually overcome the hardships that we're facing, as opposed to just thrashing at it until something different happens. Whether that something different is an improvement or a ruin. Mm-hmm. So I I guess that's a timeless debate and a piece of art that. We keep coming back to like, what is the best way to make change. But I think the, the point of view difference between Luke and Percy is not that different. And I guess it's supposed to not be that different.
1: Yeah, the, Percy very much could have gone with Luke. Like that's part of it is Cronus is trying to build an argument so Percy will actually join him and fulfill this secretive prophecy that we don't actually know much of yet.
0: It almost would have been better if Percy hadn't been getting the visions or like hadn't figured out that it was Kronos in the way that it was like, well, this whole show we've been building up that Percy doesn't like trust the gods and doesn't trust in the system of the gods abusing their children. And Luke, as someone who's fighting this, is a natural point of view that he would understand but I guess this just happens in stories where it's like, "Oh no, you betrayed me, so now I automatically hate you and distrust everything you say."
1: See, and that's something that I do like about this story is that's not the case. He what Percy and Annabeth experience in this is there's like what's scary to them is there's some truth in his argument. But they just. But it know never feels m- tempting.
0: We haven't gotten there yet. In in this I, scene, I like no, if no, this it's, is not like the, it's not if this tempting.
1: It's not. This is like yet. the
0: third act twist where it's like, oh shoot, I thought like the thing with Zeus was the big, was like the big thing I was going to be nervous about, but actually it's this thing with Luke. Like I never felt like I was like out of the frying pan into the fire in this episode where it's like yeah. You know that's- the Pixar third act where it's like, whew, they finally got out of it. Oh, no, it's even worse than ever now.
1: Yeah. And and that's fair. Maybe it's because
0: I knew it was going to happen.
1: Yeah. I think that's part of it is like, oh, crap. Like, And especially, like, knowing how, like, Luke trained Percy in sword fighting, so Luke knows every trick Percy's going to try, like. And we get the reveal of Backbiter here too, which isn't explored well, in the context, but Backbiter as an, like as a weapon is terrifying.
0: Well, Condra, we get a great line of, of all time dialogue. Exposition. Exposition Backbiter can open secret doors.
1: That's not true. That's not true. That's some golden compass nonsense.
0: Condra, that's what Luke said.
1: I he know. Said, Backbiter
0: can open secret doors,
1: but that's not in the. Mm, I hate when I do this. It's kind of like book. the Ma-
0: <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of like the Madam Web trailer quote. I know that guy. He was in the Amazon with my mom studying spiders before she died. It's like, <laughs> yes, just say the thing.
1: <laughs> so what how, Luke actually escapes camp through the labyrinth?
0: I guess I but didn't realize that like it's
1: the labyrinth until a few books later when they're like exploring the labyrinth and they're like, oh wait, that's how he did it kind of thing because Percy Percy kind of gets knocked out and Luke runs away and Luke goes through the labyrinth entrance at Zeus' fist. And Annabeth hears about Luke's betrayal, not because she's there, but how Percy conveys it to her and Luke's absence. Uh, Backbiter is magical in a very different sense. Well, it's not magical per se. It's just very deadly. Kronos allows Luke to create a weapon that can kill both things of the mythical world. And of the mortal world. So half of Backbiter is celestial bronze. And half of it is steel. So it can kill anything. Which is not allowed in the mythic world. Like their weapons don't harm mortals. They're not supposed to harm mortals. But Kronos is As so ruthless. As if a ruthless. bronze sword
0: wouldn't hurt someone. But yes.
1: Well it's magic the lore, yeah. Yeah. So.
0: And I think this is also missing from the show a little bit. Like, the gods let the mortal worlds live and and exist, whereas Kronos is gonna is gonna destroy everything and make everything just his. I don't think that's really stated here. Like that would also make sense. Like Percy's not just protecting the world of the gods; he's protecting the world of his mom.
1: Well, that's the thing. Backbiter's actual ability isn't revealed until the next book, yeah. but for them to name it now, I was like, okay, I guess we're just going there. And it's got magical portal abilities instead of the labyrinth. But I don't mind spoiling that. Cause that's not like a huge spoiler, but I, I do mean, think maybe it's backbiter more-
0: just opens a door to the labyrinth.
1: Yeah, maybe,
0: but I feel like they, they could have said something about Percy wanting to, you know, instead of Percy defending the status quo of the gods, he's defending the status quo of, the world where mortals are allowed to live and thrive.
1: Yeah. Even though they're putting the Greek world on the brink of extinction.
0: Yeah. But if the Greek gods exist with with wherever Western civilization is. They never brought that one up. Yeah. In the show.
1: Which is fine. We don't need that.
0: <laughs> um, I liked the part when Luke and Percy were fighting where... Percy slashes him and then goes, "Ooh, sorry, I didn't mean to. That was cute."
1: But that's like the point of the betrayal is Percy doesn't like the situation. I don't
0: want to fight you, <laughs> which is where this where where the relationship also ends in the last book. Yeah, and is one of my least least favorite cliches in storytelling.
1: <laughs> Luke has already lost to Kronos at this point, like. Luke's mind has been overtaken by Kronos already, so even though Luke's personality seems to come out, it's just Kronos.
0: Yeah, have we ever known the real Luke? It's hard to say.
1: Percy hasn't. Annabeth did, though.
0: You you also said something about camp where it's like they're like trapped in camp by like a magical force. which I guess I didn't pick up until now. It's like things are kept out of like things can't come in camp, but they also can't leave camp unless given special permission, I guess. Yeah. Until they go on summer vacation. So I guess let's, let's circle back. So um, Annabeth shows up and throws a dagger at Luke and be like, I heard everything. And then he runs off and Annabeth does a cool sword pose ready to fight. And that's awesome. And then her and Percy are like, oh, that was crazy. And Luke's gone now. And then um, Percy has a conversation with Chiron and Mr. D, which is a little amusing. And then. Peter
1: Johnson, yet again.
0: (laughs) And then Percy meets up with Annabeth at the tree. And they're like, they're like going off. But I don't, what is the season of camp? I don't understand that.
1: So, camp can be year round. For folks like Clarice, Annabeth, traditionally Annabeth, where they never leave because it's too dangerous for them, they have no family to go to, the risk is too great. Percy should be a year-round camper. That's like the big debate the whole time is Percy's supposed to be there year-round. He's too powerful and his smell is too strong for him to not be a year-round camper, but his mom and him find ways to make it work.
0: But do they only come for the summer yeah. or do they leave during the summer?
1: They only come. Because for the I summer. thought we
0: were at the summer solstice, but I guess the rest of the summer went by. and Now it's the end of summer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's that was just like, a
0: time jump that I missed.
1: Yeah. The time jump is much more obvious in the book because there's no bead ceremony either. We don't actually see the first bead of Percy's necklace, which is the lightning, which is, um, excuse me, the trident. So his first bead is uh got the image of a trident on it. So yeah, we missed that. I guess
0: we we do see the necklace because Annabeth takes it off and gives it to Percy before he goes to Olympus, and then she's wearing it very prominently in the last scene at the tree.
1: Yeah, but and I, I did didn't remember notice... like,
0: oh yeah, the necklace is a thing.
1: Yeah, I don't. I didn't take in how many beads were on her necklace at the very she end. Had, like, and I probably somewhere between have. four
0: and six, maybe there eight. Even been,
1: there, no, there should have only been. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Should have been five. All and right. And then the ring. It seemed
0: like there was two or three on both sides. Like, okay.
1: And, and so then they, they leave, leave at, the, at end the end of the end summer. Of summer. It's and- reverse
0: Hogwarts. Yes. I'm not going home. Not really. They might as well have said that in the last scene of the show, I suppose. No. <laughs> um, they
1: just promised to write to me. Every yes. week. Every week
0: every week <laughs> yeah so Annabeth she has her hair done differently in the last scene it looks so great cute oh
1: my god <laughs> it's braids and, and she, braids she's got a little, little
0: like, bit of makeup braids. on too she's really popping it's good
1: she's trying to impress her father. She's going to actually see her dad, which is a huge oh, this is deal. Such,
0: this is such a good conversation.
1: Oh my God, it's so good. It's so 12-year-old. I'm like, yes, chef's kids. This is awkward preaching. Pretend
0: I, have to, yeah, pretend I haven't been to New York. Then I have to go to Disney World, which sounds like Waterland, except it's not trying to kill you. Like, this is where I was like, oh, she actually sounds like she's really naturally saying this dialogue finally. Yeah.
1: She was so good. So... Yeah, this whole interaction between all the three of them is super cheesy, but it also is so perfect for them as the trio. Like Percy, Annabeth, and Grover is like the original trio. They're so good.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Harry, Ron, and Hermione don't count.
1: Forget them. It's (laughs) Percy, Annabeth, Grover in my book.
0: What about Bella, Edward, and Jacob? That's a trio. Shut your mouth.
1: Shut your mouth. <laughs> yeah, it, it just... They're, they're like, happy for Grover. Sally's back. Annabeth's trying to fix things with her dad, which is a huge step. Like, her time with Grover and Percy has given her the confidence to try and make amends with her father. There's... It's just... And Grover gets his little searcher's license and he's got... I love that the searcher's license is this like flower that he's just wearing on his chest. It's just a flower. <laughs> it's so it like it's so Cloven Elders like council kind of thing. I'm just like, yes, actually I love this. This whole like promise we'll meet each other next year kind of thing. And then knowing what happens next, like canonically, <laughs> I'm like, this is gut-wrenching right now we're getting the happy ending but like it just gets so much worse
0: i honestly don't remember what happens in sea of monsters like i don't know what the conceit of like the the journey is like i know they go to the bermuda triangle and sail around and meet all the odyssey people but like don't know what actually happens
1: you don't remember who the big bad is Nope. The one <laughs> on the cover? <laughs> Do you not remember the cover of the book?
0: Well, I guess there's a Cyclops involved. Yeah. And Percy's brother is also a Cyclops.
1: Tyson. Heck yeah.
0: All yeah. Right.
1: So we need to so wrap going, this up. <laughs> yeah, they're going off on their ways, and we get kind of a happy ending. All right, I will admit, right, right as the like, credits started rolling, I'm like, what the heck? We didn't solve the game issue. Also, I had a problem. Sorry, we didn't talk about this with the Sally stuff at all. But, like, Percy's like, it's a long story. And then he, like, falls asleep and wakes up. And I was so confused. I was like, did he just dream that he reunited with Sally? Or is this real? And then Sally comes in and is like, what did you see? Did you have another nightmare? And I was like, this is the weirdest jump, I think, in the whole show.
0: There's like a dream fake out where he thinks he's wake. He's He thinks he's finding his mom, but his mom's actually Kronos. And Kronos is like, you need to live so that the pro- prophecy of my return can come true. And it's like, Okay. I guess we're also ripping off Harry Potter and every other fantasy series ever.
1: Um, yeah, I have no problem with that because it's yeah, it's not Harry Pottery in that sense. I don't
0: remember why Percy has to live for Kronos to come back, but I guess the 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 prophecies in this actually make more sense than the Harry Potter prophecies. Absolutely, make no sense. So, yeah. uh, but it's a fake out, and then he wakes up. He wakes up again. So he's dreaming about his mom saying you have to wake up, and that's when Kronos says some stuff in the green dream. And then his mom says, no, really you have to wake up. And that's when he actually wakes up in his bed and his mom and him leave the house, grandpa. but not before she makes him some blue food.
1: Heck yeah. Blue pancakes,
0: which I was pumped for. Oh yeah. He says, I dreamt about grandpa. And she goes, oof, not him.
1: Don't call Kronos grandpa, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's just inappropriate. Um.
0: And then she leaves with an umbrella, but Percy doesn't take an umbrella, which was a clever little bit.
1: He brings his pen, though.
0: Oh yeah, which we never got. We never got the pen name.
1: We never got the pen name. The whole uh, the whole show. Riptide I guess pen name nameless. has a different
0: meaning. Yeah, but whatever.
1: Riptide is nameless. How sad.
0: And then, yes, it's okay. Percy's reunited with his mom. Happy ending there. And then we get the credits, and the post credit scene is.
1: Gabe Gabe. and because I was like we got to the post we got to the credits and I was like um excuse me what are we doing with Gabe like I literally said that out loud I was lying in bed in a dark room and I was like Gabe please (laughs) and Um, we got a post credit yeah it's good we
0: get the, the we get the exposition of like my wife's divorcing me and now I'm locked out of my apartment. Like, and I, I don't know what accent that was, but.
1: He was like, my wife's divorcing me and I have to pay you money. It's not my fault you took <laughs> that out. That was funny. You put you <laughs> took out student loans. And I was like, Gabe, I'm so glad this is happening to you. Like, I think because we were concerned at the beginning that Gabe wasn't going to have a big enough downfall. But. But we got it's there. It's not.
0: But what we were concerned about was that they weren't going to make it as gritty because in the book Percy leaves the head in the fridge
1: fridge and does it on purpose. Poker.
0: And in this one, the the Gorgon head gets sent back, returned to Sender. So it's not even Percy's agency turning Gabe to stone.
1: No, which to me is a little bit of a cop out. No, so I think I I actually like this though because I could totally see Poseidon being like, you know what. Couldn't save Sally myself. Let's do them a solid. We're going to send the Gorgon head back. And is like, hey, Hermes, I got a good joke for you. And Hermes is like, heck yeah, I like this joke.
0: I like it even better than bringing it to Zeus.
1: Yeah. Um, like, Did
0: Percy write his address on it I don't <laughs> when know. he sent it to the gods? I don't know. You don't need a return to sender address when you're sending it to the gods. They know where you are. <laughs>
1: But Percy's, Percy's a little snarky boy. Yeah, this unfortunately does take away, like, Sally being able to sell the statue. Or maybe it doesn't. It still leaves it open for her to sell the statue to get back into school. But. Yeah. And get a better apartment. But I I still think, cause especially with how much we talked about it at the beginning, I think, Turning Gabe to Stone was still done really well.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely worth it as a payoff to the character. The house in Montauk, did, did they, like, rent that house? Yeah. Okay. I was yeah, also just like randomly thinking they about rent
1: that. To, they rent once one week a year.
0: Does, does Poseidon secretly own it and <laughs> give them a lower rate?
1: Could, I don't know, could be. I All
0: don't right, know. anyway, we need to wrap it up. Um, Maybe we'll do a. Maybe we'll do a final episode with our overall thoughts on the show and what we hope for for season two.
1: I like that idea.
0: Instead of doing that now.
1: Yeah, because we've been going for so long, and people are already not going to barely listen to this.
0: (laughs) Well, they want to. They want to get the most out of their their show experience. If you're like me, you don't have any original thoughts, so you need to listen to critics say things about things. Otherwise, you won't know how to feel. (laughs)
1: But until next time, you can find us on social media. We're at amateur nerds on Instagram.
0: At wildcat minute on Tumblr. But feel free to not talk about High School Musical. Talk about Percy Jackson on Tumblr. That's Heck happened yeah. before.
1: Uh, that's a classic Tumblr for you. <laughs> you can also send us an email to amateur nerdspresent at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, that's the plugs. We'll see you next time for a follow up episode.
1: Yeah. Tell us what you think, and maybe we can share some of those thoughts.
0: Yeah, we'd love to um, read some, yeah, user reviews on the air. Reviews of the show, not our show, the Percy Jackson show. And, yeah, we want to get a sense of overall. Did people think this was good? Did people think it was bad? I think the social media response has been good, but because people like Percy Jackson. Yeah. All right.
1: Rightfully so.
0: We're going to wrap it up.
1: I've been Condra.
0: I've been Tyler. We'll see you next time for our final judgment. Bang dun, bang!
1: Dun, dun.
0: <laughs> you can bet on it.
1: <laughs> you still keep ending with that.